Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and we are concluding our season on transforming worship. And we've had some great guests, some great topics. And in this episode, we want to sort of wrap it up. I've got my podcast producer, Colleen Powell, here, and she's going to spark us with some of the things that struck her during the season that she'd like to talk about a little further. And then I'm going to conclude with some basic points about transforming worship that you can take away with you and actually even use them in your own private worship or in your own worship planning to begin to move towards this exciting possibility of transforming worship in whatever setting you're in. So welcome, Colleen. Good to be back with you. We've uh, been through some pretty deep topics. We We have swum in the deep end of the pool in this season. So um, it's been fun to do it with you and you've been listening along very intensely. And so I would love for you to get started by telling us a little bit about what struck you in this season. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I am not a worship leader. I don't work at a church. And so I I wondered going in sort of what how things would land with me or if it would feel like there were things that were really resonating with me. And I was really struck, first of all, by how much this is a bigger conversation mm-hmm. about, like most of the conversations we have, about the state of the church, about what COVID has revealed about the church. I mean, I think this is something we just keep coming back to. And I think we're in this really interesting season where we're we're sort of getting to reexamine the way that we do things yeah. and why do we do mm-hmm. things. And so, so much of what what struck out is how sometimes what keeps us from having transforming worship is the fact that we just, like we said in that episode, we're just on autopilot. We're just Mm -hmm. continuing to sort of do the things that we've always done. And, and it made me really long for just the ability to sort of re-examine everything, to Mm -hmm. hold everything up and say, what would it look like if we really rethought this in terms of what would be transformative and not throwing everything out, obviously, but just being able to sort of, look at everything through a new lens. I just found myself really longing mm-hmm. for that yeah. and longing for, you know, our churches to to be able to do that. Yeah. As you're talking, I also am aware that it might involve to use a kind of violent image, <laughs> slaughtering some sacred cows, yeah. you know, that worship yeah. for whatever reason is the thing that contains yeah. most of the truly sacred cows yeah. in a community's existence. And yeah. so I think the reason that worship has become a war is because people are fighting about things that are sacred to them and and sacred in their tradition and in their denominational setting. And so it's hard to think about letting go of things that you feel have defined you Mm -hmm. or that have meant a lot to many people, maybe mm-hmm. meant a lot to the, to the last generation, but aren't meaning as much to this generation. It's really, really challenging. I think we cannot minimize yeah. the challenge that it will take, yeah. that we'll have to face if we really were yeah. to put everything on the table, because a couple of them might be needed to take off, and uh, we might need to grieve and say we really love that when we used to do it, but it's not helpful to us right now, and we need to let it go. And wow, what a spiritual openness there needs to be. Yeah. To even engage in a conversation like that. And I don't know if all churchgoers, especially those who have been who have been in their churches for 50 years or whatever, there's such a vested interest yeah. in the way we've always done it yeah. that I feel like there's going to have to be a deep spirituality among those who try to have these conversations. Yeah. And there has to be a different ethos, mm-hmm. which I, I'm really aware of because I think in transforming community, one of the things I love is that we really try to remain open to the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit, gathered around the presence of Jesus for what God wants to do there. Mm -hmm. And so 
it just constantly allows you to be thinking in why am I uncomfortable? What is this discomfort? Mm-hmm. Where is it coming from? And so I also think sometimes when we think about how do we make worship transformative, we almost have to like start way back further of like mm-hmm. how do we help our people enter into worship in a way that is open hearted yeah. mm-hmm. and and willing to see what God and the Holy Spirit are going to do? How do we help our people to sit in discomfort? How do mm-hmm. we help our our people to have an an attitude that then allows us to sort of examine the yeah. trans, the sacred cows or or whatever it might be because I think it is there is like a chicken and egg situation yeah. of like where does it where does that formation mm-hmm. start and how do we you know and then does it happen it happens in worship so like how mm-hmm. so there's I can imagine for a lot of leaders there is sort of a like uh, where do you start which I maybe that's a question for you like where do yeah. you start I really love that question because you know we've been in existence in the Transforming Center for 22 years worshiping eight times at every retreat. And uh, when we started our fixed hour prayer services, it was very fresh. I mean, there are many, many people around us. It was the first time that they had ever prayed in this way. They were coming from either mainline churches where they had prayed liturgically, but it had gotten very rote for them or Lutheran or Catholic. So this felt uh, fresh for them. And then there were many, many people among us who had also been in contemporary model churches with the big bands and contemporary music. And so our worship was very fresh because it was a fresh take on fixed hour prayer and liturgical prayer. But now at 22 years, we realize that we can be stuck too. Yeah. We can have some sacred cows. Yeah. We can have songs that we're attached to. We can have um, a, a way of doing it that we're attached to. And so starting with Transforming Community 15 in particular, we started our own process of trying to look at our worship freshly. And one of the things that motivated us in that is that we really wanted to cultivate a more diverse community and not just diversity in terms of who was in the room, but diversity in terms of worship style and what would mean a lot to others who are from different life experiences than we were. And we wanted our worship to start reflecting the diversity of you know, the Christian experience writ large, you know? And so that's where we started to be pushed. You know, Mm. this hymn doesn't really resonate, you know, this Mm. big white hymn, it doesn't really necessarily resonate with the people of color in the room. Mm. Or like David said in one of his episodes when he was talking about in Christ alone, and he said, you have to have a four-year college degree to be able to understand that hymn. It makes you stop and question what you're doing. Yeah. And so I do feel like people's spiritual transformation journey prepares them for the moment when we do something new. Yeah. When we introduce something that we feel is more consistent with who we're trying to be, more consistent with what the Spirit's doing among us, but might be a little jarring. So one of the places that I'm very aware of is um, in our transforming community experience, we do offer up icons as an aid to prayer. But we've been using European icons Mm. and all the faces are white as we began to diversify in our community, we realized that the icons that we were using weren't representing the people in the room. And so our dear uh, Tina Harris introduced us to some contemporary icons that are much more racially diverse and also depict different human situations, like the murder of George Floyd or an immigrant family, things like that, that, that function as icons because they invite us into a spiritual reality and to really reflect on a spiritual reality, but using a broader range of what's represented in terms of human experience. So for many people, the icons themselves are a stretch. Yeah. And then when we added on top of that, the contemporary icons and the ones that we use have been developed by Kelly Lattimore. 
that was stretching people even further. But one of the things we noticed is that people who had been on a journey with us for a while, they trusted us. And they had already been with us in spiritual practices that are meant to help us pay attention to resistance, that are meant to help us open up to things that we might not be so comfortable with. And to interrogate our discomfort versus just going along with it and, and refusing because we're resistant. And so... To me, that's part of the excitement of this long-term transforming community experience is that we have time to establish trust, Mm -hmm. to do some of the things that feel rather normal to people, and then over time to introduce some fresh things, both for ourselves and for the people who are journeying with us. But because of the transformational journey we're on and how we're paying attention, it's doable. And and there's not the kind of resistance, or if there is resistance, people know how to be with it versus just fighting out of their resistance. And so, you know, I think that you're so right to name this need that we have to place maybe everything on the table. And there might be a couple of things that we say, no, that's non-negotiable among us, but we've all decided it together in this moment. Right, which there's also that, I think, that communal aspect of mm-hmm. it, which I'm I'm just really aware of what makes worship transformative mm-hmm. is the community of people within the worship. And mm-hmm. so what happened in Transforming Center, in Transforming Community, was there was a group of people that suddenly started to look and feel different, and mm-hmm. you started to realize, well, this community doesn't feel as welcoming or as open for mm-hmm. these people because we've been doing it through this lens for yeah. so long. Mm-hmm. And so... And so then the worship transforms and morphs as the community is really like valuing each member. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder too if there is some component to what makes our worship transformative is if it is existing within this deeply bonded community. And and does your church feel like that? Are you aware mm-hmm. of of the communal aspect and why this hymn is so important for this demographic mm-hmm. of the community. Is there a space for us to help us understand? Like, yeah. I think for me as a person who doesn't really like the, you know, certain hymns or like the organ, like mm-hmm. when I can hear from somebody who it really deeply matters to, I can mm-hmm. forbear some yes. of mm-hmm. some of it in a way. And so I think there's also that mm-hmm. communal aspect of like what can make worship transformative is just knowing the ways in which it's transformative to others right. in the community. Yep, yeah, and that part of our self-giving in transforming worship is that that we are willing to engage in some things that mean something to other people, but but then there's also a space for something to be developed that means something to people yeah. who are different, yeah. and that we can actually give those moments to each other in a in a well-formed, more fully orbed yeah. worship experience. And I think I would name that as being a part of transforming worship that there has to be this willingness to be more fully orbed in terms of who the worship actually appeals to and ministers yeah. to and what cultures the worship comes out of. Because I'm really struck by the fact that, you know, black worship in particular, it emerged from a very particular kind of experience. Mm, yeah. And that's why it's so important. Yeah. And it did something for them in the context of oppression and injustice and things like that to worship in such a way that it's this rawness of what we're going through as a group of people and yet continuing to affirm our faith and our hope even in the midst of this horror that's a very different kind of worship than yeah. the kind of worship that most white people engage in you know yeah. and so to to have these elements that deepen our worship from a variety of influences yeah i think is part of the transformational journey with worship yeah i agree i agree and I just think the other part that has always took out is is just how dependent on the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. the whole thing is. And right. that I think it 
become so easy to just get into this rhythm of like creating, mm-hmm. recreating the same thing, plugging some different songs in or whatever. Yeah. And there's almost a template. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that true transformative worship is really open and dependent mm-hmm. to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, which I just kind of long for. Yeah. So. I think it's a two-way thing with, I think that transforming worship is developed in response to the spirit. And then my question as someone who works, I don't consider myself a worship leader, but I I do work in the area of liturgy and plan our prayers, very, very involved in our prayers ever since the beginning. And I always see my role as a spiritual director role. Mm. My question always in planning services, and I'm always working with our worship leaders, planning our services. And my question is always, what does the soul need right now? Mm. What does a human soul at this point in this retreat, what do they need to say to God? What kind of space do they need? What kind of an experience would help them to open to God in response to where we've been? My my biggest question is always, what does the soul need right now yeah. in terms of its relationship with God and trying to create something that gives the soul what it needs? And I, I just love being in that place. It's my favorite place yeah. to be is to ask is to ask that question. So I wonder sometimes, too, if we need to bring a little bit more soulishness. Yeah. into our worship planning yeah. where we're really considering where our souls at right now yeah. and what do souls need in this current moment in this cultural context in the terms of what our congregation is going through yeah. how can it connect how can our worship connect yeah. to us to God in the midst of whatever moment we're in yeah yeah oh so good well you know one of my favorite moments in this season is actually a very funny moment and funny and also very serious at the same time and that's the best kind of moment actually and it was in our final episode with our little group with David Bailey and Leo and Charity and we were talking about the power of diversity and um, talking about programming in particular and I don't know if all of you would remember this but there was a moment where Leo very sweetly just shares his story of having really put a lot of preparation and a lot of expense into planning a children's program as a children's pastor. And he comes all excited to to this morning with the children. And he says, we spent a lot of money and we've got this really great plan. And there were these children whose parents had just told them that very morning that they were going to get a divorce and the children were just reeling. And they said, we don't care about your program. We don't care about the money. Yeah. Our parents just told us that we're they're getting divorced and we just need to be with that. And so Leo, you know, says out loud the thing that many of us might have been feeling in a moment like that. And it was, what about my program? You know, he goes, they destroyed my program and my puppets. What about my puppets? (laughs) And that might be one of my favorite moments in all the podcasting we've ever done because it was just, Leo was so sincere Mm -hmm. in in offering up what many of us might have been thinking Mm -hmm. in a moment like that. Mm -hmm. And it also points to a deadly serious Mm -hmm. topic. And Mm -hmm. that is that sometimes we can be planning worship in such a way that it does not connect at all Mm -hmm. with where people are at. And we can be so attached to our programs Mm -hmm. that we're not in touch with the people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he very sweetly also talked about sharing stories and how sharing stories with each other prepares us to worship from a much more authentic place. And I that moment in the in the season was a real meaningful moment you yeah. know for me to in it, with an illustration to get at this thing that we're all so tempted to and that is that thinking that really great programs are going to be the thing yeah. you know that actually meet people and in this case absolutely not and um, his very expensive puppets yeah. uh, had to be set aside in order for the moment that these children were needing and so Leo was sweet to send us a couple of pictures to give us further context uh, of him doing his puppets and um, are we going to put that I anywhere? think we'll, maybe we'll try to post them on social oh, media okay, this so week 
Okay, um, yeah. So just watch for that because it's just so sweet, but it also points to such an important topic. Yeah. The other moment that I found quite meaningful in this season was the moment in talking about the Eucharist mm. and t- talking about how this practice of the church of remembering Jesus through the elements through communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, however you want to talk about it, in Jesus' mind and heart was meant to be so unifying. And instead, we as Christians have made it a dividing line. And I'm not sure that we came up with all the best answers, but I haven't heard a conversation like that where people were able to be as honest as we were able to be about the pain around communion and the Eucharist. And we really can't talk about transforming worship without talking about the Eucharist and its role. And so just to get the difficulty out there, as you know, as a spiritual director, I just think the questions we're willing to ask ourselves and the things we're willing to pay attention to are as important as the answers we think we know. I think there's still questions around that probably in in people's minds who listened, but I'm still pondering the conversation itself and what it meant to, you know, in a safe way, talk about the pain of some of those moments and how we can, in some ways, just be more Christian with communion and follow Jesus heart in it all so those were some places that I just loved 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 yeah I agree Um, I agree some really really good moments in this in this season that's for sure I agree well we had a question that I thought was really worth bringing to you because I think there were probably lots of church leaders, worship leaders that could hear these conversations and feel very empowered to, to take them and do. But we had somebody wondering how an ordinary worshiper can impact the overall shape of corporate worship in a mm-hmm. congregation. Um, when you're just sort of sitting in the pews, what influence mm-hmm. do you have over that or what does it look like to to impact the leadership mm-hmm. on that level? Um, I think so often people sort of use the worship as this litmus of like, did I enjoy this service? Mm-hmm. Did no. I get anything, did out, I get of anything it? out of it? No, yeah. then I'm going somewhere else yeah. mm-hmm. and we become very consumeristic. Right. And so for for those of us that don't want to do that, yeah. what does that look like yeah. to also know that there could be something more yeah. in our worship service? Yeah, I think there's a dual challenge there. There's a challenge to the parishioner, the person in the pew, and there's a challenge to the leader in there. Mm. And that's why that's such an important question. For the person in the pew, I think we addressed Rory's wonderful teaching about the fact that what you bring, um, and I think I think David Bailey reiterated this as well, that with worship, you get out of it what you put into it. Mm. You know, So if you bring a person who hasn't been worshiping all week, who hasn't been paying attention to God all week, who hasn't been intimate with God all week, and then you come in and you expect the worship leader to do it all, or the mm. worship team to do it all, yeah. you're not going to get much because you're not yeah. bringing much to yeah. it. And so to bring your own worshiping heart, Um, and a prepared heart, a a heart that really wants to set this time aside to be present to God in the midst of your life. As Rory suggested too, where no matter the style, whether we like the style or whatever, in most any worship service, there's going to be deep spiritual truths that we can ponder that are offered up. Even if it's in the middle of a hymn we don't like, there's still a spiritual truth there that is probably pretty important for us. Or a scripture that gets read that just speaks to our life, you know, and we, if that's what we walk away with is, this yeah. is this scripture that penetrated and gave uh, insight into the life that we're living grab that and go and walk yeah. into it with the lord um or in a song you might not like the style but what if there is an affirmation of an attribute of god that you have noticed in your own life this week or that you would like to experience more fully and that could be a place of your own prayer and worship and so i think that somebody who's been, who is a worshiper someone who's a private worshiper will bring their worshiping selves 
to the worship service and they will contribute in that way. I can also tell you that for those of us who are up front leading worship or speaking and things like that, you can see the people out there mm. who are really engaged. And sometimes I will actually thank people who mm. have held eye contact with me while I'm speaking and who have nodded or have even said, you know, you know, preach, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, to see that there are people out there engaged versus me just working really hard up here at the front and can't see any sort of response from anyone. We need to support our worship leaders with our responses. And then, yeah. so that's on the, that's on the parishioner side. And I also want to suggest that I, depending on the receptivity of your leaders, and this is going to get me over to the leader side, I think there are times and moments when it might be appropriate to give some input to our leadership team. One of the places that I think could be fruitful is maybe it's a contemporary worship service where it seems like it's pretty noisy and fast paced and it's kind of emotionally inspiring, but it doesn't create a lot of space to God for God. Maybe someone who's on a quieter spiritual journey could actually make the suggestion, hey, you know, I really love our music. We've got the greatest musicians. But sometimes I feel like there's no space for God in these services. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could give us 60, cents of silence, some, mm -hmm. 60 seconds of silence somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of suggestions, I think, hopefully, our worship leaders and our pastors are open you yeah. know, to these sorts of things. The other area that I think is really important for parishioners to give input, if and when it's welcome and when they can do it in, in a sweet way and not just to try to challenge somebody, is also words of hymns and choruses. You know, sometimes our hymns, because they are a little outdated, uh, sometimes we aren't listening to them through our current cultural lens and through some of the sensitivities that are there for us now. So for instance, the hymn In Christ Alone, which many people love that hymn, and it's a wonderful hymn. And at the same time, though, there are some questions around the, the, the theory of the atonement for those who are very sensitive and really wrestling with what the atonement really means. So the whole idea of the wrath of God and taking the wrath of God out on his son. I mean, those are some places right now in our culture where many people are doing some very deep reflection and not sure that we have always fully understood the true meaning of the atonement. And in fact, sometimes we white Christians feel like our theory of atonement is the only one, but it's not. And there are there are other theories of the atonement that we could consider. And so, you know, to be able to even talk about our hymns and what they say, um, I think David Bailey's point was really important when he talked about the fact that the musician is actually more the theologian sometimes mm -hmm. in, in the room than the pastor because, because the worship leaders and the, the songs that we put in people's mouths to sing actually shape us theologically. Yeah. That was another really important point that I felt we needed to consider there is what what was the theology in the hymns that we're singing what are we really saying yeah. and when you have the worship team planning the worship time somebody needs to be looking through the lens of what these songs say yeah. the you know some of the more contemporary choruses sometimes lack a spiritual depth and so it can be this me and jesus and jesus is my boyfriend and there's you know it's almost romantic and it's and and that's uncomfortable you know because i'm not sure that that's exactly accurate <laughs> to what we believe about who Jesus is for us. So um, I think that if there's ever any input or any questions that your worship services or hymns stir up for you, be brave and try to talk about that with someone in the leadership of your church. So, wow, I went on, but that's, that's the parishioner side of things. Then the other side is the leader. Yeah. And the leader is going to be doing some of the things that I just suggested, that we're going to be looking at our hymns and looking at the content of our worship service services and making sure we really do agree 
biblically, theologically, and spiritually with what we're singing, what we're putting in people's mouths to sing, and what we're putting in people's mouths to pray. This was a conversation that Rory and I had in our work together over the 15 years when we would go over songs together. And I remember, I wish he was here so that we could discuss this together, but there was a moment where there was um, a song that I wanted to introduce. I, we did introduce it to the community, but there was one piece of it that he was uncomfortable with. And mm-hmm. he said, I don't feel comfortable putting that in the mouths of our worshipers. And we we really wrestled it down to the mat mm-hmm. with tears. I mean, mm-hmm. Daylene was in the room and, and she was like praying in the background <laughs> that we would get somewhere good with it. But this is the work. Like I felt really yeah. proud of our work. Yeah. Like we went all the way down to the bottom in our work on what our content was. What was the content of our worship and what words were we willing to put in people's mouths to sing yeah. and to pray? Yeah. So leaders need to be vigilant about this. And when people who are different than we are, a younger person who's looking at things through the lens of their own cultural realities, parents with children who are looking at the worship service through the lens of their children who are sitting there wide-eyed wondering what's going on, people of color or people from other ethnic situations where some of our white articulations don't necessarily measure up with some of what their tradition has understood. Wow, we need to humble ourselves and listen. I I think that's the biggest thing I want to say to leaders is, could we please humble ourselves and listen and not make ourselves the measure of all things, not make our own loves the measure of all things that go on in the worship service, not make our own life experience the measure of all things? Could we be humble and see worship as a co-creation, even when we are those who are in leadership? Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great question. Thank you. Great answer. Thank you. So friends, it feels a little bittersweet to come to the end of this season because we've had such penetrating conversations, such tender conversations. I've been with really good friends who I'm in community with deeply, and we've shared really deep stories of our own life as a worshiping community. And um, because it's been so wide-ranging, I thought I would draw it all together by giving us just a few closing points that might give some handles for transforming worship. These would be some things that I would say are most significant in continuing to engage transforming worship, both as someone who's a worshiper and also as someone who is a pastor or a worship leader, someone who's shaping worship for their community. We are talking about worship as the act of giving honor and reverence and respect and admiration to our God. And when someone is truly worthy of that, then it is a good moment. You know, think about a moment when you set aside time to honor a person who's retiring or to honor someone who has, who is deceased. And you feel like you're doing the exact right thing by creating some space to honor that person. And that's really what we're doing when we enter in to worship. Now, I really do want my first first gathering it up point to be that private worship makes the best corporate worshipers and that we need to keep private worship and corporate worship tightly, tightly uh, connected in our churches and in our communities because I do not believe that it is the worship leader's job to whip people up into an emotional frenzy, to take people who haven't thought about God for a week and then to somehow bring them someplace. That is, that's not what this is. Worship, a worship service should be a gathering of people who have been worshiping all week and really have prepared themselves uh, to come to worship because of how they've been interacting with God throughout the week. The next thing I want to say about transforming worship is a little bit paradoxical as well, that our transformation is our worship. Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
and I've always talked about the fact that um, our spiritual practices are the way that we do that. It's our way of crawling up on the altar and presenting ourselves, surrendering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Wow. What does that mean? It means that we don't have to go to a church. We don't have to always be in set apart time. It means that we are worshiping every minute, that every minute we are engaged in an ongoing process of spiritual transformation, which by definition is surrendering ourselves to God. Every minute we are functioning as a transforming self on the earth. Every minute that we are bringing our true authentic self versus getting Uh, hijacked by our false self. Those moments are worshiping moments. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be so motivating for my transformational journey that I'm actually worshiping God when I'm in the throes of dealing with my own need for transformation. And that when I am finding ways of presenting my body to God through the spiritual disciplines, surrendering myself to God, that I am actually worshiping. And that means that in my daily life, there is so much worship going on. Uh, Maybe you've had the experience of someone who has a lot of affirmation about your child. Maybe it's during a school conference with a teacher or something like that, or someone who observed your child, or your child was very good to their child, and they wanted to just affirm your child to you. And, you know, on the one hand, you want to be really humble and say, well, you know, know, it could have gone a different way. It could have been different. I I can't take any credit for that. But the truth is, is inside you think, well, you know, that is a reflection of who I am you know, and how I've tried to parent this child. And so when we are our transforming selves and worshiping God in that way, we are reflecting back to people who God is, and that's an act of of worship. And so I'm completely taken with the idea that our own transformational journey is actually an act of worship every single day. In terms of our context here, I want to affirm that worship is always about the encounter. It's always about setting up a real encounter with God and not just merely an inspirational one where I get lifted up for a few minutes, as, as valuable as that can be. I'm actually talking about encounters with God where something in us actually shifts and changes. I loved Rory's points that our worship, especially our corporate worship gatherings, are meetings with God at God's request and initiative. God asks us to worship. God invites us to worship. And so we don't even initiate it. God initiates the meeting with us, and we're showing up doing something that God has requested. And sometimes we might be tempted to evaluate the effectiveness of our worship by looking at outward expressions like you know whether everybody's got their hands up or whether or not um, people are swaying back and forth or whether or not people are weeping or clapping or jumping around or being all whipped up but that can be misleading because sometimes when worship is happening and there's a real encounter happening it's a shift that's deep inside that the worship leader would not be able to see I've had moments like this where something so deep is happening inside that actually nobody would be able to see it, but I know that it's real. So, for instance, um, in our communities, every so often we will sing Great is Thy Faithfulness, and it's always on a Tuesday morning, the last morning of the retreat after we've really experienced God's faithfulness to us in a retreat environment, and especially during times in our life here in the Transforming Center when we've been going through some difficulties. I have had several moments when I literally could not sing because the tears and the truth of God's faithfulness were 
so powerful inside me that I could not contain my, all I could do was just be, be quiet. I felt like if I kept singing, I might just start to sob at, at God's faithfulness. And so to a worship leader looking out at the group, it might look like I wasn't participating. But actually what was happening inside me was so deep that I had to close my mouth and try to contain it. And so I would hate for anybody to look at me in a moment like that and think that I'm not worshiping because I am. But what's going on is so deep inside that I can't show it. Um, it's not showing, but it's, it's really deep. And what that does for me in terms of my transformation is that it puts me back in touch with God's faithfulness to me right up until this moment. Gratitude becomes huge, and gratitude is a transforming gift, by the way. Gratitude is a huge shift for those of us who often are very discontent in our lives. So to be filled with gratitude in a worship moment is highly transformational. It's a huge energy then that I walk out of the room, not only with the energy of my gratitude, but also with a deeper conviction that whatever it is that I'm facing out into, I can trust God to be faithful again. And all of a sudden, I am buoyed up spiritually for what is ahead for me. So the worship is always about the encounter. And we want people to be set up by whatever it is that we do. We want them to be set up for a real encounter. We want it to be very personal in that regard, in addition to being corporate and being uh, bonded together with brothers and sisters in Christ where we where we buoy each other up in our worship. Sometimes when I can't sing, the room sings for me. Sometimes when I don't have words to pray, a written prayer prays for me. There's all sorts of ways in which our corporate worship contributes to our private worship and in which our private worship contributes to our corporate worship. So I want to keep those two things married in our ideas about transforming worship. And then finally, um, I will say this, that I believe God is looking for worshipers, and that's where we started. That's how Rory started, the very beginning of this whole season, that when Jesus had his interaction with the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman initiated a conversation that was about external. She said, well, the true worshipers worship over there. And Jesus clarified the nature of true worship. In effect, he said that worship is not about externals of place or style or song or choice. It is about what's inside us. He said, he said the Lord is, is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And so God is looking for excellence in some ways, but that's not the most important thing to God. The most important thing to God in our worship is that we are worshiping in spirit and in truth. It means that we're engaged with the spirit of God. And it also means that we are telling the truth, telling the truth about God, telling the truth about ourselves, telling the truth about the world that we live in and orienting ourselves to God in that context. So if this is who we are, and if this is who we are becoming as private worshipers, we can then transcend worship preferences, worship style, worship personalities, and even the worship wars, hallelujah. We can transcend the worship wars because we can enter into worship that is beyond our own tradition when that is what's required. And we can engage in worship no matter what setting we're in, as long as it is focused on our good God, I think that is beautiful. So friends, I hope that this season on Transforming Worship has been as uplifting to you as it's been to those of us who have participated. I think that, uh, I feel like we've grown in our conversations and getting clearer about um, what Transforming Worship really is, and it's, it's been a pleasure to walk with you in it. And so I do want to offer you, as always, a few practices for transforming worship. What can you walk away with right now that gives you a way to practice these things in your own uh, very ordinary life and in your own congregations and communities? So if you'll join us over there on Patreon, you'll get a few practices that can bring this 
uh, season to a close for you. And as we close, we worship God. We are grateful for each other. And I pray that we will continue to be private worshipers and corporate worshipers who bring glory to our God. So as we close, I want to remind you that we have not been talking out of mere aspirations, that these things that we've been talking with you about are things that we are experiencing over and over and over again in the Transforming Center and in the Transforming Community experience. We pray and worship eight times, eight short prayer services in every retreat. And many people tell us that the Transforming Worship periods of time are the most meaningful part of their experience. We create a lot of space for God in those little services. Even though we have a lot of content in our retreats, it's the prayer services that create space for God and create opportunity for us to respond to God in the midst of all that we're hearing about. Um, It gives us a chance to really orient ourselves to God and, and to engage in real authentic worship telling the truth about ourselves, telling the truth about God, telling the truth about the world world that we're living in and turning our hearts towards God in those moments. So our transforming community experiences are really developed for leaders, for pastors and leaders, those who are trying to lead others in the transformational journey. And so for leaders in particular, we find that they love coming to our communities because they don't have to plan anything. They get to actually participate in worship without having had to plan. And for many pastors and leaders who are always involved in planning worship, It's one of the most restful things that happens for them is that they get to worship so deeply and so regularly in worship services that are led by others. And so for you as pastors and leaders, we really do encourage you to consider a place where you can experience transforming worship even while you're trying to envision what transforming worship might look like in your setting. We would love you to join us. Yes, you will get content. Yes, you will get your own room and you'll get solitude. But you will also get the same kind of transforming worship that you've been hearing about in this season. And it would be our joy to share those experiences with you. And now some of you may be looking at the calendar and realizing that Advent is just around the corner. And so we just wanted to let you know that we will be doing an Advent podcast season. It starts next Friday, November 24th. And this season, we will have a season-long guest, Scott Erickson, also known as Scott the Painter. Scott wrote an incredibly beautiful book called Honest Advent, and we will be exploring the themes of his book with him this season with our eye on the idea that an honest advent will lead to an honest hope. And I don't know about you all, but I need an honest hope more than ever. So if you would like to journey with us, we encourage you to go out and buy that resource wherever you buy books. It's called Honest Advent by Scott Erickson. Scott is also a really incredible artist. And so there is some beautiful artwork that accompanies this book. And we will be working with that as well. We'll be sure to share those images in our show notes. And also there'll be some video elements for our patrons of the podcast this season. But I just think it is going to be a deeply beautiful and ultimately encouraging podcast season for us all. So again, that starts next week, Honest Advent. Thank you guys for listening and following along this season as we talked about transforming worship. 